I want to say it's good to be with you one more time. I want you to know how much I've enjoyed being here. I warned the guys in the sound booth that if it don't get better after this, I'm leaving. So they've done a terrific job back there, and I sure appreciate the work all of you have done to make this meeting what it's been. I'm going to try to do something tonight that I rarely am successful at, but I am really going to work at it. And I'm, trying, I'm going to try to not talk very long. And uh, I'm, the boys at home, they get up to give a lesson and they, they try to stretch it out. And, you know, it seems like some of us, we just have to condense it down. So we're going to try to do that. I don't want to preach to you tonight. We've done that. Just want to talk to you as friends. The, what I'm going to talk to you about tonight, I put together over 40 years ago and 99% of my meetings I close with this. And I started off putting it together because in verse number 8 of the book of Philippians chapter 4, which is where we're going to be, it says, finally, brethren. And as a young preacher, I thought, what a better way to end a meeting than finally, brethren. Because here we are, finally, brethren, the last sermon, the last talk, whatever you want to call it, of this meeting. Finally, brethren. Clever, huh? I didn't realize when I put this together how relevant it really was going to be over the years. So I want to share some thoughts out of Philippians 4 with you. And I hope you listen to what I have to say. And I think if you'll think back over the years, you've probably heard this in time or two, but you're going to realize that what I've been saying all these years has come to pass. And you'll know what I'm talking about in a moment. In verse number one, Therefore, my dearly beloved, my long for, and long for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. When I first put this together so many years ago, I thought this was just the way Paul ended a, 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 an epistle. It was like when I would write a letter and say, yours truly or sincerely yours or in Christian love and then sign it. After the years came and went, I realized why Paul said that. If you look at the end of the book of 1 Corinthians in the 15th chapter, about the 58th verse, he told them to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. This wasn't the only time he said that at the end of an epistle. You know why he said that? Because he knew that if he saw them again, however long it was going to be, some of them weren't going to be there. Now I've used that sermon, I've used this here before. And some that were here then are not here now. Now some have finished the race. And they've gone on to the reward. They finished the course. They fought a good fight. They kept the faith. And there's a crown of righteousness for those that love the Lord. And there are some that grew up and moved to other places. That's not what I'm talking about. Think back over the years that have come and gone. You know, brethren, that when we come and say, where's brother so-and-so? They quit going. Where are they at? Well, they live right over here. They didn't move, but they gave up. They quit the race. Stand fast. Don't throw your soul away. It is the most precious thing you've got. Don't give it up for the nickels and dimes of this world. Years ago, my dad used to go raccoon hunting in Arkansas. And he didn't take a gun because he was selling the pelts and the gun would mess up the pelt. Well, I go, how did you get them? He said, I would take a chain and we had back then, we had these jugs that had a ring on the neck of it. Some, you'll see some of the antique stores that have those kind of jugs. 
we'll take a little bit of aluminum foil, put it down in the bottom of it and chain it to a tree. And what will happen is that raccoon will come up and stick his hand in there and grab it and double his fist up and pull back. He won't let go of that shiny object. And we go over there and we throw a tow sack over him and then we kill him and sell the pelt. He traded his life for less than five cents of aluminum foil. That seemed ridiculous to you? Heard a story about a kid. Dad come home and they have a vase. A vase is a vase that costs more than 400 bucks. I did learn that over these years. And the kid's hand is stuck in the vase. It's a family heirloom. And they can't get the hand out of the vase. Dad thought amputation, put a few flowers. The kid's got another hand. He'll be okay. Mom ruled that out. Finally, the only thing they could do is break it. And they broke that heirloom. And the reason he couldn't get his hand out is his fist was doubled up because he'd found a nickel and was holding on to it. Now that stuff I find humorous. I'd love to see the look on the old man's face. <laughs> now I don't know about his dad, but in my world, somebody's getting a beating. <laughs> I'm done, and you're getting 400 bucks worth, kid. I guarantee it. But you know, when we trade our soul, we're trading streets of gold for the nickels and dimes of this world. Don't quit. Don't walk away. I cannot tell you how many acquaintances and good friendships we've made over the years. And then you come back to a place many years later and people just quit. Don't give up your soul. Don't walk away from the only hope you have, which is the Lord Jesus. He says, I beseech Yodius and beseech Sensici that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, I found out there's a debate. I didn't know this that these were, some, most theologians believe these were women. I don't know whether they are or not. Didn't say they're women, didn't say they weren't. I don't know if these are feminine names or not. I have no idea. But I know this, Paul said, let them be of the same mind in the Lord. You know why? Because the most precious thing this congregation has is unity. Unity. Stay together. Don't leave anybody behind. Guys, if one falls, pick him up. Don't be judgmental and hard on each other. Now, I'll tell you something I have added to this sermon over the years. I have found in the eldership that when somebody's really hard on somebody else, you know why? Because of Romans 2. Who art thou, old man, that judgeth another and doeth the same thing? Nine times out of ten, when somebody's hard on their brother, they've got something going on in their life that's just as bad or equal. Love one another. Care for one another. Don't leave anybody behind. And maybe we can pick up a few as we go along the way. Paul was very worried about this, folks. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, he's in Miletus. He's called for the elders of the church at Ephesus, and he knew this is probably the last time he's ever going to see these guys. He said, Take heed unto thyself and unto the flock over which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers to feed the flock... And you know what he said next? Taking the oversight thereof, sorry. But you know what he said next? After my departing, grievous wolves are going to enter, not sparing. And then you know what he said? And this breaks your heart. Of your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things, drawing away disciples after them. Of your own selves. Folks, I'm not worried about the world 
whipping the church. I'm not worried about the atheist at all. I'm not worried about ten churches down the road stopping the church. There's only one thing I fear, and that's a civil war. Now, I'm going to tell you something. We've got to watch out for this. Paul was warning them. He warned the Philippians. He warned the Corinthians of this. Corinthians got a whole book on it, by the way, just for the record. Could you imagine as good of friends as we are, as the years that I've been knowing all of you guys, and some of you since you were babies, and me when I was a baby too, believe it or not, and we could wind up on opposite sides of the fence not speaking to each other? I hope you can't imagine that, but I want you to know it can happen. At the end of the book of Romans, he said, Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. Why would he tell them something like that? Because he knew we can't win a civil war, folks. Stay together. Love one another. I told Bev while back I said I hope that you enjoy stories you hear about the evangelist but a lot of those are church lore <laughs> and they kind of get growed with time you know what I mean kind of like fish stories I told her I said you follow the elder he'll get you to the promised land but love the man because he ain't perfect none of us are perfect brethren we're all going to need each other Ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in faith and the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I'm no better than you and you than me. We need each other. Stay together. Stay together. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Yes, women labored in the gospel. And brethren, do not make the mistake that has been made in the past and put 50% of your workforce on the bench. Ladies, labor in the gospel. Well, Martin, I didn't think women could teach. Three hours a week. You know, if this had been a good sermon, <laughs> I'd have Googled how many hours are in a week. <laughs> but y'all can do that for yourself, but I'll bet it's more than three. Well, I know there's 24 in a day, so... If, that, you know, that would still give you 21 hours if you just worked one day. Now I'm going to ask you another question. Has this meeting been a success? You know, we ask ourselves that all the time. We hold these meetings. Was this a success? Did I waste your time and mine? Are we kidding ourselves? And then I got to thinking, how are you going to measure that? Well, I enjoyed the preaching. I enjoyed delivering it. It's a break from what, what we normally do. I guess that's cool. But that's not the way I judge a success. Here's how I do it. Is your name in the book of life? If you walk out of here and this meeting ends and you are confident that your name is in the book of life, it was a success. And all the effort and all the struggle and all the work that this congregation and these brethren went through to put this meeting on, to all the expense you guys have had, 
If you walk out and your name is in the book of life, it is a successful meeting. And you walk out with a determination, my name is in the book of life, I'm going to serve the living God. It's a success. If you walk out of here and your name is not in the book of life, wasn't a success. And we hope down the road maybe there will be some. For whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what's so important about that. Tell you a real quick story on this. I was a freshman in high school. And we had a, a good football team at the little town I played in. It wasn't Gunner or Tom Bean. It was down further south at the time. And we had a coach. And I, I did not know how coaches worked and motivated people. But he walked up to a fella that played offensive guard which is one thing I wanted to do later on. And he said, John, you don't hit nobody. He got that look on his face. He said, no harder than you hit, you could wear a toboggan. One of those little stocking caps because that's what the NFL guys were wearing at the time with their logo on it. He said, I'm gonna tell you what you're gonna do, boy. You're gonna get off my football team. You're done. Get over there. Cole, you're starting. Oh, oh, oh this is cool. For the next five days, this young man proceeded to dance on me, stomp on me, beat me up in the locker room. <laughs> I mean, he was furious. He was firing. But Thursday, I'm still starting. I called my family. I told my mom and dad and, and everybody, I can't believe it. I'm still in the starting lineup. I figured I'd been dead by then and almost was. It, playing the game can't be no harder than what I've been through. And so the family is all excited and they all come to the stadium. This is amazing. We're sitting on the bus and he read the names of the defense. Then he read the names of the offense. He read that other boy's name. My heart just dropped. My stomach turned. There's got to be a mistake. Look at the list again. My name ought to be there. You said my name was there. But it wasn't there. Now that freshman boy had three more years. And when he was a senior, this coach comes up and goes, Marlon, you don't hit nobody. <laughs> you see the point? There was next year for a freshman and a next year and a next year. When you stand before God and that list is read, is your name there? Your, your heart will be in your throat and the pit of your stomach will have that feeling. If it's not there, there's got to be a mistake. Check again. Is your name in the book of life? That's what it's all about, guys. That's why we're going through what we're going through. That's what we're doing what we're doing. Don't walk out of here if your name is not in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. A while back, some of the, the guys come to me at church and they said, we got a problem with our prayer list. And we, we, don't, we, we do it like y'all do. We, now we have the technology puts it up. At the time we had a blackboard. And I said, what's the problem? Well, it's, it's the ones on the prayer list. I said, you don't believe in praying for the lost. I mean, the sick. And they said, no, that's not our problem. I go, what's your problem then? And they said, have you ever noticed, Martin, when somebody gets well, all we do is erase the name and keep going? I go, what? 
They go, we never say thank you, Lord, for the ones that are healed. We've asked God over and over to be with these people, be with their family, be with the doctors. Lord, please heal them. And we never say thank you. And you know, I got to think about it. They're absolutely right. So one of the things we started doing, we started realizing, hey, we need to be more thankful about things. And when a prayer is answered, or we believe it is, thank God for it. Do we ever stop and thank God? Or is it more, more, more? When Jeremy was one years old, I bought him a train. No, it wasn't a train. It was a train. It was a train that you got in and drove. It took up two of Beverly's rooms. I want you to know, he's one years old. It had a bell on it. Bev killed the whistle. <laughs> she let him have the bell, but she said, you're taking that whistle off that train. And it blew black smoke. And she would only allow us a certain number of time to blow the smoke because it filled the house up. I mean, it was, and I spent money we didn't have. And I learned the most important words a father will learn when he gives his child a present. Do not buy anything that says some assembly required. Some. <laughs> My father-in-law and I sat up all Christmas Eve one night. And we put it together. And I couldn't wait. I mean, I've got him this. He's going to be so excited. This is stuff I would have loved. Which really probably I was buying the train for me, to be honest with you. But this is going to be great. We'd gone to the Dairy Queen. I noticed the little one over here with the little rattle thing. Jeremy got him one of them bubble things out of the 25-cent machine, and it would rattle. He loved it. He got up that morning, and we're so excited. He looked at that train and started crying. He wouldn't get on it. You set him on it, I mean, he would pitch a fit. I couldn't believe it. You know what he wanted? He wanted that 25-cent deal from Dairy Queen. I was brokenhearted. Now, I do want you to know that he got over that <laughs> to Beverly's chagrin. And he did get to where he could run that train. But that night, I, really, I mean, I felt like, hey, I thought he'd be thankful. I thought he'd be excited like I was. wonder how God thinks about we ask and we ask and we ask, and we never say thank you. Years ago, while I was still out here, I got a chance to hold a, a gospel meeting in the Rio Grande Valley, which a few years later I would wind up living down there. And I didn't know anybody. The congregation at that time was pretty small. And I figured, well, I'll just go up and down the street and do the best I can and see if we can get anybody that'll talk to us. And we were out there one day and one of the fellows said, you got to go with me. You got to see this. I just got a phone call. And we went to an RV park. Stay with me. It's going somewhere. And a line of RVs came in. And it was Herschel Williams and Beverly Kill and Adrian Bowers and several others. And they had RVs. And they pulled them down and they all stayed in that RV park. And I bet there was 10 of them. And I want you to know we had a bang up work down there because we had manpower. You know what I told Bev? I said, one of these days we're going to have one of them RVs. This explains my, my, my obsession with this particular program. And we're going to go to gospel meetings. And we're going to do that kind of stuff. And I said, you know what? If God lets that happen, 
Bev, I will never complain about having to pay for it or work on it. You know what? I never had. We eventually got to do that. In fact is, I had one a week before I came here. But a guy waved a dollar bill in front of me and I sold it. So, any rate, but I'm still thankful for it. I did have it for a bit. Are we thankful? Are you thankful? For the blessings God has given you? What do you call something when it's just give me, give me, give me, and nobody ever says thank you? Don't you ever get to feeling a little bit used? That's what happens. You reckon the Lord ever gets to feeling used because all we do is ask for more, 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 and we never stop and say thank you? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Why do you say that? You know, if all you ever see is the bad side of something, how are you going to be mentally? If all we're doing is thinking about worldly things, what kind of person are we going to be? But if we're thinking about these true and just, and I'm not going to go down the list, y'all can... Have somebody do that some other time. What I'm telling you is the things you're going to think about. Are you a spiritual person or are you a worldly person? What do you think about the most? That's what Paul was telling them. I'm going to tell you something. A negative attitude is as contagious as the flu. And so is an enthusiastic attitude. We've all grown up around old men. I'm not going to tell too much of this. But in our little town growing up, we had a guy that his family wasn't any good to him. His wife didn't treat him right. The company he worked for was sorry. The government, they weren't doing nothing but beating him up. You know what? Nobody wanted to be around him. We used to say, this dude show up, he'll cloud up and rain, man. And then you had another guy that he was always positive about everything. I mean, he, he loved life. He, loved he hated having to quit his job because he retired. He, got, he had one leg that was bad, so he got this, this, he would drive with his leg crossed. He had a little throttle deal. One time he got messed up and he drove right through the post office. And we went in there and we go, are you okay? He goes, of course I'm okay, just checking the mail. <laughs> it had a drive-through. <laughs> well, it did have to, but you know, he could have been down about that and depressed. He was laughing about that. You know what? We hung around him. Sometimes, parents, I want to give you this. And this is very difficult. You have to be very careful with this. You'll be driving along, and the singing was lousy. The preacher was lousy. You didn't get a lot out of that. You didn't think it was a very good service at all. And you know some of these brethren at the church and all that, and the way the elders did this, and right in the back... They're soaking it up like a sponge. And then they grow up and they don't love the church. Because the 20 years they're growing up, maybe less a little, they didn't hear one good thing. Be careful about that. Be very careful about that. Now we had a career guy come to our school. And he talked to us about our careers and what we were going to be. And I'm 17 years old. I didn't know what I want to be. I'm 
64 and I don't know what I want to be. If I ever find out, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to become that, though. I'm going to do something with my life later on. But at 17, this guy's up there and he made a false statement. He said, whatever you think about the most is what you'll be. At 17, if I'd have been what I thought about the most, I'd have been a girl. <laughs> Guarantee it. But you know, I know what he meant. I really do know what he meant. If you're really thinking about something and that's what's on your mind, pursue that because that's probably what you can be. You want to be a spiritual person? Think about these good and honest things, these honorable things with virtue. Think about spiritual things and you'll be a spiritual person. You're a worldly person? Then think about worldly things all the time. And that's what you'll be. So I'm going to ask you one more time. Finally, brethren, is your name in the book of life. When you lay your head down tonight, is your soul secure with the master? If you're not sure about that or if the answer is no, come as we stand and sing.